We would like to welcome all of you that are our guests today. We're happy you're here. Thank you for coming. Those that are watching us online, God bless you. Thank you for being here and uh, participating. In Jesus' name. In case you're not aware of it, uh, all of our services can be accessed through our website, both live and archived, at uh, theantioch.com. Uh, go to the media button and it's all there. We're also available on other venues, livestream.com and live stream app that's spelled together. Vimeo also has uh, our services archived and YouTube. There's an Antioch the Apostolic Church channel. And also I have a personal channel there, Apostolic Iron. Uh, is, is all, it's there. So if you're interested in that, um, praise God. I am, I have never been an event preacher. What I mean by that is I've just never done all that well preaching messages on special days. Now your pastor is one of the best I know at that. He is really, really good at it. The Lord really uses him and and uh, I appreciate his gifting in those areas. And so I'm just up praying early this morning, minding my own business. And the Lord gives me a Mother's Day message. I'm going, nah, I can't do that. Nobody's going to believe I'm preaching a Mother's Day message. Well, it's kind of a Mother's Day message. So if you'll go to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4, verse 21. Read a little bit, if you would allow me. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise. And depending on your scriptural knowledge, Abraham had a promise that he was going to have a son by his wife, Sarah. Uh, she was barren and uh, that didn't seem like it was going to happen. And Sarah had a solution. Here, take my servant woman as your concubine and have a child for me through her. Uh, her name was Hagar, and the child's name was Ishmael. And then approximately 12 years later, the angel of the Lord visited Abraham and Sarah and said, It's time. And she birthed naturally a, uh, a child uh, conceived in her, begotten by Abraham. He was 100. She was 90. Praise God. And... Uh, So the scripture says in verse 23, but he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. Wasn't the plan of God, the will of God, but he, uh, but he of the free woman, Sarah, was by promise. Which things are an allegory, meaning they happen in real life, but they have spiritual application. They have, they, the, the, uh, it's, it's a, because the story becomes, illustrative of 
spiritual principle. Which things are an allegory for these are the two covenants. The one from the, from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth the bondage, which is Agar. That's the New Testament spelling of Hagar. And for this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free. That's the church, not a church, not a denomination, but the church, the one that the Lord has married, which is the mother, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Hint, 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 hint. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. You may be seated. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. We're, we're somebody's children. But whose children are we? The plan of salvation is... Uh, Proverbially, or uh, as a parable, called new birth. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 3, to uh, a teacher or a ruler of the Jews named Nicodemus, he said, except a man be born uh, again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time in his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And most theologians, well, that's become a very broad term today there are people who are theologians don't even believe in the divine inspiration of Scripture. So I, I don't count somebody who's an expert on the Bible that doesn't even believe the Bible came from God. <laughs> Your opinion is totally irrelevant to me. Sorry. Uh, that's kind of narrow-minded. No, you don't have any idea how narrow-minded I am. I'm, I'm so narrow-minded you can, you can divide, you can Define the parameters of how narrow-minded I am from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. That's just how narrow-minded I am. I don't care what society says. I don't care what the government says. I don't care what anybody says. If what they're saying is in contradiction to the book, I'm going to obey God rather than man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you want to fear man more than God, that's on you. But the problem is, of course, as we know, 
what man believes changes so often, it's called sand. If you build your house on the rock, which is Christ, it's a sure foundation. But Jesus talked about the other, the guy, he told about the two men building their houses, one on rock, and rock doesn't move theoretically, and then the other is sand. Why did he call it sand? Because as many grains of sand as there is, there's that's how many opinions are in the world. And if you're trying to build your life on the opinions of this world, it's always shifting. How can you ever know what truth is? I was listening to, uh, actually, I was on the, the plane coming back from the uh, UK uh, last Monday. And I was watching on my iPad the uh, a couple of the episodes of the, uh, the, I don't know who produced it or whatever, the series AD, the story continues. I've got the Bible series and then there's ad and it was pretty good and 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 it showed the uh was trying to depict jesus standing before Pilate, and uh jesus declared he was the truth and Pilate asked the age-old question what is truth well i can tell you absolutely that truth isn't does it change? Truth isn't this today and that tomorrow. XY is XY. XX is XX. That's truth. And if you need an interpretation for that, see me later. It's truth. Truth doesn't change. Truth doesn't vary. Truth is truth. And Jesus said in John 16, 13, When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Not truth is some, as the, the government says it, or the political, the politicians and all, all of their confusion. What, not what truth is according to them. Not truth according to what the courts say truth is. Not truth according to society. Not truth according to some late night talk show host. But truth. Not truth according to some denomination. Not truth according to some preacher. Or any religious leader in this world. No. No. Truth, there has to be a standard for truth. You know, there's a lot of people that kind of believe the Bible and kind of believe in Jesus. Kind of. The problem is, if you read the Bible, you've got a problem. It's either all true or none of it can be true. There can't be a middle ground with it. The statements made in the book challenge you to make a decision. They challenge you to make a decision. There's no... Back in 1980, 1980 we were having a crusade and we ended up 
being able to acquire a room in the student union at the University of Maryland. We went over and we talked to kids about the Bible and whatever. And this one young man came in and said, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in the Bible. I said, only on a college campus. That, I didn't say that loud. I said that to myself. I said, wait, wait, wait just a minute. How do you know who and what Jesus is, what he stands for? If you don't believe in the Bible. He said, I just have Jesus be whoever I need and want him to be. Really? Really? You're kidding me, right? Because here's the problem. The Bible says that Jesus is the word made flesh. I can't reject Jesus without rejecting the word. Well, he did reject the word. But if I reject the word, I'm rejecting Jesus. Now, I know also that our world is full of spiritual readers, digest editors, who want to take the Bible and condense it down to the stuff they like and eliminate all the stuff they don't like. But the Bible is very clear on this, you see. It says that if I take away any of the book, then my part is taken out of the book of life. And if I add anything to the book, then the plagues of the book are added to me. Why? Because God is the I am. He fills the entire not universe, well he does fill the universe, but he's bigger than the universe because the creator is bigger than whatever's been created. And the universe is created, so therefore the creator has to be bigger than what was created. So the universe is in God, not God in the, just God in the universe. Yes, God is in the universe, but the universe is in God. And that God is called or named himself the I am. Why? Because he fills everything. There's nothing that he doesn't fill. Well, he fills all time and space. That's true, but he's bigger than time and space. He's before and after time, and he's before and after space. He's the I am God. But the problem is that I am God is alone. And if he wants to, I talked about this a little bit two weeks ago when I talked about the uh, forgiveness. But this is flowing, and this is where I'm at right now. If you heard it already, you need to hear it again. So here he is. This God who's not (laughs) in any way a part of time or space. Time and space is in him. In order to create, he had to have a means whereby part of him could become affected by time and space. And that's the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And the word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. And so Jesus says of the word. John 17, 17. When he's praying for his disciples. Just before he is uh, taken and crucified. He said, Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. I like Billy Graham's answer years ago. 
somebody said, uh, well, what about this problem of the Bible? What about this problem? He said, no, 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 you're missing. Uh, I am not a Bible expert. I'm a student of the Bible. I'm not here to criticize it, tear it all down, try to put it back together the way I think it ought to be. He said, I'm just a student of the Bible. I am not a theologian. I'm just a student of the Bible. And the scripture says, except you be converted and become as little children, you can't enter the kingdom. And what does a little child do? Don't tell a little child you're going to do something. Because they will remind you forever. Because that little child doesn't analyze what you said. That little child doesn't break it all down. That little child doesn't want to know your bank account, and your the capability and probability or, or your schedule to know if and when you're going to be able to do this. All that little child knows is this person that I love and that I that, uh, that is bigger than me has said they're going to do this. And except you become as little children, you, you can't inherit the kingdom. What does that mean? What the book says is what I believe. Come on, Brother Wright, you're not that naive. Call it what you will. What the book says is what I believe. Period. End of story. What the book says, I believe. (laughs) What the book says, I believe. If that puts me at odds with the entire world. So be it. My life is really simple. I don't have to please you. I don't have to please society. I don't have to please anybody but one. If I'm pleasing him, everything's okay. Now you, some of you, you worry about this one and that one. What are they going to, what's this one going to think? What's this one going to think? What's <laughs> I, I, as some of you know, uh, I post stuff on Facebook, both my regular Facebook page and also my Apostolic Iron Ministry page, and I tweet on Twitter. And uh, I see Facebook exactly like I see this. I got the mic, and you're listening. We're not having a discussion. Because... I don't post stuff that's my opinion. I'm in prayer. The Lord gives me something. I write it down and I post it. And I had, I've had a couple of friends say to me, oh, not too long ago now, boy, you really got them stirred up over one post. Did you, you, did you see what they said? No. Oh boy, they were ripping you up over that one. So? I looked at my friend and said, you know something that they don't understand? I don't care what they think about what I said. Literally. All I need to know is, did I hear from God? And did I write it down just like he said it? And if I posted what he told me, what people think of that? is absolutely, totally irrelevant to me. Hey, Jesus said it. If they rejected me, they're going to reject you. 
The book also says, beware when all men speak well of you. Did you ever hear that story about John Wesley? That persecution was a daily experience of John Wesley. And he, the story goes, he had gone two or three days without being persecuted. And he's riding on his horse, repenting. God, what have I done? How have I, how have I displeased you? What have I said for people to accept rather than what you wanted me to say? Nobody's persecuting me. God, forgive me. I repent, God. And the story goes that he was yelling so loud he woke up this drunk fella who was irritated and picked up a rock and threw it at Wesley. And he began to thank God for forgiving him of his sins. Now, that's obviously not our attitude today, is it? Because the church is full of incognito Christians. Right. Oh, yeah, this is Mother's Day, right? Yeah, okay. So. (laughs) So. The story that Paul gives us in Galatians 4. The allegory. Is an amazing one. But the statement he makes is, ah, boy, you either really believe it or you don't believe it at all. Jerusalem, which is above, is free. The mother of us all. New Jerusalem, which is above, is free. Which is the mother of us all. Now, there are some people whose theology says that there's going to be a marriage in heaven between Christ and the church in Revelation 19. If that's when our mom and dad get married, then we're all illegitimate children. (laughs) If the church is our mother right now, and she's not married to our dad, we're illegitimate. Pretty simple, isn't it? One plus one equals two. That's pretty simple. So either what takes place in Revelation 19 is not the marriage of Christ and the church. It's more like a reception after the marriage. 2,000 years after the marriage. Or we're all illegitimate. Because to become a part of the church, you have to be born again. Born Again, become sons of God. Well, if God is our father, biblically, who is our mother? I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm not talking about any, any name brand of group, including this one. I'm talking about the church. Now, we're all going to be a little surprised when we get to heaven over some that the Lord identified as the church and some he didn't. But whoever the church is to him, that is the mother of us all. The spiritual mother. Now here's the problem. (laughs) If you ask most very sincere Bible-believing people where the beginning of the 
New Testament is, they'll tell you Matthew 1 and 1. Really? Matthew 1 and 1. That's the beginning of the New Testament. Well, that's what my Bible says. Yeah. But what part did man label and what part did God label? See, what I, I, I don't think we have to come up with opinions about the Bible. I think you study the Bible and the Bible will tell you about itself. That's been the premise that I have used that I didn't figure out. God put that in my heart when I was a 19-year-old kid at the Naval Academy. When I was confused and didn't know which way to go, got down by my bunk and prayed, Okay, God, either you're a liar and you're, you're a respecter of persons, or if you and I and this Bible spend time together, if I will let you teach me, you're obligated to show me truth. I want truth. And the way I understood it from the beginning was... Don't ever take your opinion to the Bible to try to find evidence to back it up. Go to the Bible objectively with a clear mind and spirit and let the Bible tell you what to believe and what your opinion is supposed to be. Oh, Jesus, have mercy. Yes, Lord. This is not what I want to do, but okay, here we go. (laughs) The Bible says that if we shed innocent blood, we're going to be held accountable for that blood. Now, even though science and medical science has proven conclusively that that embryo which becomes a fetus is a human being those who conveniently want to not believe that because they only believe science when it supports their opinion they reject science when it doesn't because you see the Lord didn't say take human life he's so smart He said, if you shed innocent blood, does that embryo fetus have blood in it? Hello? Does it have blood? Yes. Does the act of abortion cause that blood to stop circulating? Which means death because... Leviticus 17.11 says the life of the flesh is in the blood. So if the blood's not circulating, the flesh is dead. So if I shed innocent blood, the whole debate on when it becomes a person, a human, and all that is over. Because the Bible tells me what to believe. Well, what about rape and incest? You mean the seven-tenths of one percent of all babies that are aborted that were a product of rape and incest? So we're going to kill 99.3% of babies who weren't? 
Now, here's the problem. A few years ago, I could make a statement like that. I could sit down with somebody that was pro-abortion. We could have a civil conversation. Not anymore. The, the statements I've just made here makes me persona non grata, horrible, terrible, hate-filled person. Sorry. Call me what you want. I believe the Bible. Do you? I believe the Bible. So here we are. <laughs> if I believe the Bible, where's the New Testament begin? Well, we, we think it starts Matthew 1 and 1. But let's read a little bit. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning with verse 11. I'm going to read several verses here, if you would, please. Let's let the Bible tell us when the New Testament begins. Hebrews 9, 11. But Christ being come, and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of, of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal hair and redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Listen now. And for this cause... He is the mediator of the New Testament. That by means of death, for the redemption of the, of the transgression, transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Ready? For where a testament is, there must, there must also be must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon, neither the first testament was declared without, dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people saying, this is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. That's how the old testament was dedicated and people were consecrated to it. But the new testament was dedicated and consecrated by a better sacrifice. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? He's the mediator of the new covenant, of the new testament. Because a testament, and we would know it with this terminology, a last will and testament. 
Testament is a will. It's a covenant. This is what I want done with my possessions after I pass. Because a testament, a will and testament, is not of force at all while men liveth. When did Jesus die in Matthew? At the end. When did Jesus die in Mark? At the end. When did Jesus die in Luke? At the end. When did Jesus die in John? At the end. Therefore, can they be New Testament books? No. Now, I'm not in any way disparaging Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I love those books. Because those books tell us about the life, the birth, the life, the ministry, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. They, they tell of what he did on earth and, and the miracles he did and the words he said, etc. They are precious books. But they are transitional books. They are not New Testament books because the Testament could not be in a force or in effect until after the testator was dead. Let's go a little farther with that. Matthew chapter 16 verse 18. The church, the concept of the church and the concept of the New Testament are synonymous. You can't have a New Testament without the church. You can't have a church without the New Testament. They are synonymous. They are one and the same. How do I know that? Because the church did not exist in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The word church is only found three times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it's all in Matthew. And one time, in, in the first time the word church is used once, the second time the word church is used twice in the same verse, and every time the word church is used, it's used with a future tense verb. So we go to Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, which is the very first mention of the word church in the Bible. Matthew 16, 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I am building. I have built. No. Upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Preacher, don't you believe John 3.16? I sure do. Thank God for it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I believe that in the same chapter, though, it says, except the man be born of water and the spirit, he can't enter the kingdom. In that same book, John 7.17, or John 7, uh, 37, it says, Jesus said, in the last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, that they that believe on him should receive. The Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus was telling them about something that they couldn't even receive at the moment he spoke it. Because Jesus... The Holy Ghost wasn't going to be available until after Jesus was glorified. 
But Jesus wasn't glorified until after he died, was buried, rose again, and ascended into heaven. He wasn't glorified until all of that was accomplished. And we know that the Holy Ghost that he promised is an indicator of when the church was going to begin. Because the key element... (laughs) Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Hallelujah. You just don't know how much I love this. (laughs) Ezekiel. Ezekiel... uh, 36 verse 25. Here's one of the prophecies concerning the new covenant. Then will I speak, this is Ezekiel 36, 25. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols I will, will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. And it goes on, and it's good, but I don't have time to read all that. I encourage you to do that. It's really good, Ezekiel 36. But then how about Joel chapter 2, beginning with verse 25. And I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten, the cankerworm, the caterpillar, the pomeworm, my great army which I sent among you. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. Praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. And you shall know that I'm in the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterward. I will pour out of my spirit. Upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaidens. In those days will I pour out of my spirit. Why is that such a big deal? Because in the Old Testament. The only people that had a personal experience. With the, the, the presence or the spirit of God. Were prophets, priests, and kings who were anointed by that spirit to fulfill their offices. But the average individual did not have access to the presence of God. So we go back, you can put this on the screen, and I'll quote it while you, if you can keep up with me. <laughs> John chapter 7, verse 37 again. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his, King James's belly, the Greek is literally, uh, figuratively, it's, uh, literally, it's cavity, figuratively, it's innermost being. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now look at this next verse. Under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, John wrote, and he put the parentheses to let you know this is what, not what Jesus was saying, but the Spirit of the Lord had John explain to us what Jesus was talking about. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him could receive, might receive, possibly receive. Should receive. And a synonym of should here is must. Especially in the Greek. This make ye of the Spirit that they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given. Because that Jesus was not yet glorified. I'm preaching about the mother. Here on Mother's Day. The church which is New Jerusalem, 
It's a, it's above. It's a spiritual body. It's not an organism. It's not an institution. It's a spiritual body. And the church is the mother of us all. Okay? Now. <laughs> the New Testament doesn't begin until after the death of the testator. He died at the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. New Testament and the idea of church and the New Testament are synonymous. Can't have one without the other. And therefore, you can't find the word church except with future tense verbs three times in all of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's not there. Look it up. Get your concordance out. Better yet, if you don't trust the concordance, read the entire four gospels and make note of every time you see the word church. That works really good. Takes a little longer, but you'll learn a little bit while you're doing it. And write down every verse where you find the word church. And when it's all done, you're going to find two verses. Matthew chapter 16 verse 18 and Matthew chapter 18 verse 17 where the word church is twice. And in the, and in both situations, it is with a future tense verb. Because church wasn't in existence. But now let's go, my dear friends, to Acts chapter 2 verse 47. You ready? Acts 2.47. This is the last verse of Acts chapter 2. Praising God and having favor with all the people too. Favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Guess what? In, in, in sequence in what we call the New Testament, this is the fourth occasion of the word church. The first time was in Ma- uh, Matthew 16, 18. It was twice in Matthew 18, 17. And now here's the fourth time. And the first time the word church is used in the present tense because it exists. First time. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. And so the question that I'm hoping you're asking is this, what happened? I'm so glad you ask. Now we're going to put it on the screen. I'm going to read there. Uh, whoever's on the computer, you're doing a great job. Just try to keep up with me here. Uh, I'll, I'll, uh, if I go, if I want to stop, I'll, I'll let you know, but just keep going. Okay? All right. Ready? Acts chapter, well, uh, no, I don't want to read this out loud because just for time's sake, but I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to read this out loud, but you don't have to put this on the screen unless you're that quick. <laughs> Nothing like a little challenge, right? Okay. Acts chapter one, verse one. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen in them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you've heard of me. What, what promise of the Father? 
that obviously had not happened yet. Next verse. For John truly baptized with water. Here's the promise of the Father. But ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So, for time's sake, it's wonderful rest of that chapter if you're interested. But if you go to chapter 2, uh, this is it right here, okay? By all Bible-believing theo- theologians, this is considered to be the... Uh, I, I've always said the birthday of the church, but it's got to be the wedding. <laughs> I'm not trying to be crude here. I'm just trying to be literally scriptural. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost and we it is offensive to God for us to join our bodies, the temple of the Holy Ghost, with idols or with, with harlots. The word join there in the Greek, it translated by join in the English. We know what happens between a male and female. And a few verses later it says, He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Same Greek word as the previous verse. Same English word as the previous verse. Same idea. God's spirit comes into our spirit. Now in legal language concerning the marriage, that's called consummating the marriage. But this was a pretty amazing consummation because babies were born almost instantaneously. The church became married to Christ. That's what the bo- happened for the body. But for individuals, they became sons of God in the same act. So, Acts chapter 2 verse 1, I'm reading. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as... Of a rushing mighty wind. It was not a rushing mighty wind. It sounded like a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues. Like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. It wasn't fire. It was cloven tongues that looked like fire. And it sat upon each of them. In other words, it was a supernatural vision or manifestation that looked like fire but was not literal fire and verse 4 and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance this is that's Bible now (laughs) uh, there are those who have taken this Greek word for tongues glossa and they've coined the term glossolalia, meaning, ex- to, by their definition, ecstatic languages. But the Greek word means a language. And here's the kicker. When you come down to the word utterance, it means to enunciate plainly, to declare, meaning what they said could easily be and cl- understood, clearly understood, by anyone who spoke that language naturally. But they were speaking the language supernaturally. 
How do I know that? Because I'm going to keep reading. Verse 5. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Why? Because this was one of the three Jewish feasts that true believers of Israel, uh, uh, of, of the Jewish faith made pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship. This day. Now when this was noise abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? All of these 120 people that are speaking in these foreign languages are all from the Jewish province of Galilee. They didn't speak any of these languages naturally. Verse 8. How hear we ever man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes. Greeks and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And and some very well-meaning people say, well, yes, this was God supernaturally enabling them to preach to them. There you go with opinion again. Why don't we just let the Bible tell us what happened? And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one another, one, uh, what means this? And others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. You could become a multi-billionaire if you could create a drink that would let people speak fluently in a language they haven't learned. That's how stupid people get trying to refute or excuse themselves from being accountable for what they've he- heard and experienced. I mean, my, my wife says I use that word stupid too much, so I will refrain myself and only say stupid, stupid, stupid. <laughs> I love you. I, I just, I just have to show that I'm a little boy. Pitching a fit. (laughs) And you're my wife. I I won't continue that. She got that. Okay. (laughs) Verse 14. (laughs) We've only been doing this 49 years. We won't get this right after a while. But Peter standing up with the 11. Wait, 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 wait. We almost missed that. But Peter, one individual... Standing up with the eleven, lifted up his singular voice, singular, and said unto them, You men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. Oh, wait a minute. Everybody in the crowd could understand him. Why? They were devout Jews. To this day, every devout Jew speaks Hebrew. There was no need for a supernatural impartation of ability to preach to people in a language you haven't learned before. This is the birthday slash marriage of the church. Peter standing up the eleven, lifted up his voice, said unto them, You men of Judea and all you dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken unto my words. For these are not drunken, as you, ha- you suppose. He was really kind, wasn't he? Hmm. 
Seeing it is but the third hour of the day. It's nine o'clock in the morning. You think they're drunk? But this is that. Oh, here we go. We we read this verse a while ago. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God. I will pour out of my flesh, my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out of those days of my spirit. And they shall prophesy. Hello? That's what, that was the new covenant. Ezekiel 36. I'm going to put my spirit in you. Joel chapter 2 verse 28. And I'm going to, it shall come to pass afterward, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And Peter's quoting Joel here. Because this is the day. This is the day the new covenant began. This is the day the church came into being. This is the day. And this is how the church came into being. The Lord put His Spirit within them. The Lord put His Spirit within them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Oh, Remember all that talk at the beginning of this message about the Bible, what it says. But I, but I, but I don't believe that, brother, right? That, that, what do you do with these verses? Do you get the scissors out and cut that out of your Bible? You know, you could do that when you had a printed Bible, but it's kind of hard to do in one of these electronic ones. I love electronic Bibles. You just can't cut and paste on them. You can create your own notes, but it, the, the book still stays the same. You don't have the code to get in and edit that book. So it stays there as long as you're reading an electronic Bible, no matter whether you want it to be there or not. So what do you, what do, you do with that? Huh. Verse 22. Peter begins his sermon. That's what we call it today. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved to God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken it by wicked hands, have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou shalt thou wilt not leave my soul in hell neither wilt thou suffer that holy one to see corruption thou hast made known to me the ways of life thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance men and brethren let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch david that he is both dead and buried and the sepulcher is with us unto this day therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, or should we say glorified, and having received of the Father... The promise of the Holy Ghost, He, 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 Christ, hath shed forth this, which ye now, hello, what's it say? 
see and hear. When a person receives the indwelling of the Spirit according to the New Testament, and if you're an observer, when it happens, you'll be able to see and hear it happen to them. Otherwise, the Lord is a respecter of persons. They could see and hear it, but we can't. Now, if I had the time, I could prove that in every case in the New Testament, or in the book of Acts, which is the history of the church, the only history book in the New Testament, uh, that there's no question that's what happened. I don't have the time. Oh, I've got the time, but you probably don't want me to take it. So, Because <laughs> when this gets to flowing like this, I, I can go all day. I mean, really, this is good stuff. I, whether you believe that or not, I love it. This is good stuff, right? So, therefore, being by the right, verse 33, being by the right hand of God, exalted, having received the Father, the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended in the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, That God hath made this same Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this. You know, what are you going to do with what you hear? Now, when they heard this, they were... King James English says they were pricked in their heart. That they felt a, a conviction. They felt a stirring inside. They felt that they felt this feeling that says, Ooh, that sounds right. That feels right. What am I going to do about that? Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, let me give you the scenario here. Before Acts chapter 2 verse 1, the church did not exist yet. It only existed in the mind of God as a promise from God. The New Testament did not exist before Acts chapter 2. Because that's the first time that anyone had the Spirit of God come in them to dwell In fact, if you go back real quick, I'm sorry. If you go back real quick to chapter 1, I want you to listen to this, please. This is really important, okay? I'm, just for time's sake, I'm going to jump in at chapter 1, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Okay, okay. But who was he talking to? Let's go down to near the end of... <laughs> well, no, actually, we'll go to uh, verse 12. Okay. Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up 
into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. They didn't say, hey, wait a minute. We don't have to go obey what he said. We've already got the Spirit. They didn't say that. Because they were a part of the crowd that heard him say, go tarry in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. And they obeyed that even his own mother. And brethren, right? They obeyed that. Why? Because they had not yet received the new covenant because it was not yet available. And there was an appointed day. It was the day of Pentecost. And I don't have time to get into the theology of that. But the day of Pentecost is the day the Jews celebrated the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. That was considered the beginning of the Old Testament. And the Lord picked the exact same anniversary date as the beginning of the New Testament. On the same day that it was considered that the law was given in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant was was begun, he picked that exact day for the beginning of the New Covenant. The exact day. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, what that means is it had to be 6 o'clock in the morning because the Jewish day, day day, didn't begin till 6 a.m. So, the Lord waited, 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 waited. Okay, okay. Oh, get this. There were 500 people there that day when they watched him ascend. They watched the man Christ Jesus ascend up off of the earth after he told them, go into Jerusalem and wait till the promise of the Father is given to you. Go tarry in Jerusalem. Over 500 people, according to Paul, were there. Ten days later. Ten days later. When the Holy Ghost was poured out, guess how many of the 500 were still present? 120. You would think if you saw Jesus ascend into heaven, and then after he disappeared, two angels appeared floating in the heavens and spoke audibly where all of those people present could hear, what are you standing here for? I'm paraphrasing. He told you to go to Jerusalem. Why stand you here gazing up into the heavens? He's gone. He's fulfilled the word. Now you go obey the word. Stop standing here. You would think if you experienced that, nothing in this world could pry you out of that gathering room till the Holy Ghost is poured out. But 380 plus people found an excuse not to be there. 380 plus out of 500. Only 120 were there. Including Mary, the mother of Jesus. So, the point again, going back to Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, the multitude that was gathered there that day, They were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, all 12 of them were standing there. Men and brethren, what shall we do? 
Now, what shall we do sounds like a pretty simple question, doesn't it? Now, I want to get into some depth here. The question, what shall we do, means what shall we do? Ooh, that's deep. Did you get that? That's deep. They didn't say, what shall we believe? They didn't say, which church should we join? They didn't say, which preacher should we follow? They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? You're obviously a part of this. We've seen something. We've felt something. We've heard something today. We believe this now. We want to be a part of it. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I, I was studying yesterday, and, uh, and I came across this. I, I wasn't really looking at this specifically, but I came across this, and I read it, and it was amazing. The, uh, this, this one Greek scholar said, that the verb repent, be baptized, is all in the singular. But the word receive is in the plural. In other words, the repentance got to be individual. The water baptism has got to be individual. But the Holy Ghost is made available for everybody. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Not twelve. Not Peter. Not twelve apostles. Everybody in the room was filled. And then Peter says, what you have seen and heard today, I'm paraphrasing, is now available for everybody. And this is how you receive it. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And I don't mean to be offensive here, but you know, it, it's always, there's always somebody. Well, I don't believe that. Uh, well, you know, I love you. The Lord loves you. It's your soul. You do with you what you want to. Well, I've never believed that. I, I know you, maybe you never did believe that. Nobody's asking you to join this church. You want to come to church here, you're welcome to come here. But this isn't about joining a church. This isn't about becoming a, some religion. This is about what does the word say and are you going to do what the word says? It's that simple. Well, my mother didn't live, believe that. I, I, I don't, I can't judge your mother. I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you, this is what the book says. It's the birthday of the church. It's the beginning of the New Testament. We know that because ten verses later, uh, actually nine verses later says that the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So the church began the first time the word church is used in the present tense. So sometime between between uh, the beginning of Acts and the last verse of chapter 2, the church came into being. Because people were added to the church. That means the church came into being and people were added to it. Right? That's pretty simple, right?
I've got a degree in mathematics, literally. So I'm not trying to be insulting. I'm just telling you how simple this is. Two plus two equals four. Well, the Bible doesn't make sense. The Bible doesn't make sense because we're trying to force it to to say stuff we want it to say. Rather than just letting what the Bible says speak to us and us believe what it says and do that. I appreciate every step anyone has made toward God. I honestly do. I'm not here to criticize or take anything away from anybody that is pursuing the knowledge of Jesus and a relationship with him. I'm just trying to make a point here. Are you going to rely on something you can't find in the Bible? I hope there's somebody left for the pastor to preach to next Sunday. Now, I got the key to my car sitting out there. It's a leased Escalade. You can drive it home. I'll pay the gas, the maintenance, the insurance. You can keep it till the lease is up. It has to be turned in. Here's all you got to do to drive that car home today. Show me any verse in the Bible that says this. That if I say, I accept the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, I'm saved. That's all you got to do. Considering that that's preached from pulpit after pulpit all over this country today. And around the world today. You probably, you ought to be counting on being able to enjoy driving that Escalade. All you got to do is just show me in the Bible where it says those words. Now, I'm a lot of things, but I'm not a fool. And I don't expect anybody here to be taking my car home. Because I didn't make that offer till I looked and looked and looked and looked and looked and can say with certainty it's not in the book now again i mean this sincerely as i know how to say it i am thankful for every step any individual is made to get closer to god to know god to have faith in god i'm not i'm not i'm not de- denying the sincerity of that and hopefully it it had some benefit in your life But I'm coming back to the book. I'm really narrow-minded. I'm confessing I'm narrow-minded. I'm narrow-minded that one wall of the narrow-mind is Genesis 1-1 and the other wall of the narrow-mind is Revelation 22-21. And if it's not in between those two walls, I reject it. For me. You can do what you want to for you. Everybody's accountable for themselves. But for me... I am not gambling my eternity on words I can't even find in the book. Not doing it. I hope that doesn't offend you. If it does, 
I'm sorry you're offended. I'm not sorry for what I said because what I said was truth. All you have to do is bring me your book. Show it. Show me. Show it to me in the book. Well, you know, believe on the Lord. <laughs> you see, there you go. I said, show me the words. Accept the Lord Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. But what does the word believe even mean? Saying, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not the same thing as saying, I accept the Lord Jesus Christ, my personal Savior. Because, <laughs> ooh, Lord. I, <laughs> I have got about a thousand scriptures I could share with you, right? literally, literally, right now. Literally. Uh, to demonstrate <laughs> What the Bible says it means when you believe. But let's go back to one we've already read or quoted two or three times. John chapter 7 verse, I'm going to read 37 and 38 again. On the last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. Next verse. He that believe, believeth on me. Oh wait, that's qualified. I believe in Jesus. Uh, that's wonderful. But do you believe on him as the scripture has said? You have not believed from God's perspective until you believe like the scripture has said. Because when you believe like the scripture has said, this is going to be the result of it. Out of your belly is going to flow rivers of living water. And you want to know what that is? Here we go again. Next verse. But this spake he of the spirit that they that believe, uh, spirit which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And we could go on and on and on showing you what happens when a person fully believes. But I'm closing. I'm trying to quit now. Whoa. Church, New Testament didn't exist, exist to Acts chapter 2. The, the, our mother's birthday was also her wedding day. Depending on the perspective you're looking at it. The church came into existence, the New Testament came to be all at 6 o'clock in the morning on Jerusalem time on the day of Pentecost. Crowd gathered because they heard all these people supernaturally speaking in languages that they didn't know. What does this mean? Peter tells them what it means. And then he says, this is the promise of the Father which you now see and hear. And then the crowd says to the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter answers the question, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall, not might, not maybe, shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. My friend, I'm asking you to do one of two things today. I'm asking you to say to yourself, to God too, if you're interested, 
You can share with us or not. That's between you and God. I feel something here. This feels right. This sounds right. It looks right. I believe it. But if you're not ready for that, that's okay. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Go home. Get your Bible out. And uh, by the time you get home, if you go to Livestream.com, do a search for Antioch, the Apostolic Church, this, this message, actually this entire service will be available. And you can listen back through it and write down the scriptures and look them up for yourself and do your own study. Because if the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall in the ditch. And the, and the word of God is the light. I'm not the light. The word of God's the light. And if you'll read these scriptures for yourself and pray over them and study them, then you're going to find for yourself what the Bible actually says. Now, if you go that far, the question is, what are you then going to do about what you see in the Word? What are you going to do about it? Because that is the question, you see. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> That's your homework assignment for Mother's Day. To see what the book says. The book. Antioch cannot save you. Chester Wright, David Wright, no other preacher of this part of Antioch can save you. We are affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International, which cannot save you. There's no church. There's no church organization. There's no preacher, no matter how popular he is, can save you. The Word of God is the only thing that can make you and I wise unto salvation. That's in the book. So what are you going to do with it? Father, I thank you this day. I honor you. I am not my own. I belong to you. I am your conduit. And Father, I have said what you've given me to say. And by your grace, I've said it like you wanted it said. And by your grace, I have not added to or taken away from what you have put in my spirit to say. So therefore, Lord, since this is your word, not mine, I commit it to you. I cannot make your word work in anybody's life, but... Your, you and your spirit can. And I commit this word to you. For some, this word is a sickle that is reaping them into the harvest. For others, it is a seed that you've sown into the soil of their hearts to see if it will grow and produce any fruit. I commit the word to you and I commit every hearer of this word to you. And I trust you and trust them, trust your spirit to do your will this day. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. I know this is Mother's Day and it's a few minutes after noon. And so I'm not going to prolong this. But as we are dismissing, and I'm going to do it like this just so that you can do this as unnoticeably as possible if you'd like to do that.
as we fellowship and make our way out of the building. If you'd like to repent, come this direction. We'll pray with you. If you're ready to be baptized in obedience to the word of God, because you've repented, we'll do that today. If you've not yet received the New Testament, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, as Jesus commanded them to wait till Jer- in Jerusalem till they received it, we'll pray with you today. We'd be happy for you to do that. This is probably one of the most unusual altar calls I've ever made in my 49 years of ministry. But it's what it is. I, this is just what I feel to do. So if you need to leave, you're welcome to leave. And I commit the word to you. And I pray that you have a blessed Mother's Day. And uh, if your mother's not with you anymore, I pray the Lord will give you comfort and peace over the fact that she isn't. And uh, Or if you're not able to be with your kids or you're not able to be with your mother today, uh, she's alive. I pray that you're able to communicate with her and you have a, a wonderful time in some kind of communication. But if the Holy Ghost has talked to you through the Word of God today, even if you have plans, why don't you consider responding to the Word of God? If you need to repent, we'll pray with you. If you need to be baptized, we'll baptize you. If you've not yet received the new covenant, been baptized of the Holy Ghost, we'll pray with you and the Lord will give you that. Okay? God bless you. Um, Todd, if I could see you just one minute, okay? Let's raise our hands and give thanks to the Lord for this day. And ask the Lord to help you to do His will, His word. Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Again, God bless you. You're dismissed. As folks are moving out, if you want to be prayed, you want to pray, be prayed with, you want us to pray with you, we're helping you to do that. Make sure you shake hands and you're friendly and, uh, let everybody know we're happy to see them. Even the people you see every service, let them know you're happy to see them. God bless you.